As we've said over and over, this is a different time for everyone. Uh, for me, one of the many differences has been speaking into a camera. I'm so used to uh, looking at the faces of my congregation, and I'm just wired that way. I speak to people. And um, even though, generally speaking, they don't speak back in the large group setting, uh, I, except for an occasional amen or oh me, um, I see their faces. Um, and so speaking to a camera while I know you're out there and I read the comments that you make, um, and I get the text that you send or, or, or things like that. It's just been very different. And um, so one of the things that's been interesting is that when we began this whole uh, coronavirus lockdown, shutdown thing, uh, our church was preparing for a uh, rummage sale here at the church. And so we'd been collecting all sorts of uh, variety of anything and everything uh, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure kind of thing. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, I came in here getting ready, trying to, you know, prepare my spirit, being reverent and ready to go. And here I'm seeing, I mean, Velvet Elvis or something. I don't know. There's a bust of a conquistador looking at me. And, you know, there's all this crazy stuff um, Pretty sure our minister of music was responsible for all of this. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? That's, uh, that's the word I hear. But um, anyway, so, uh, and every morning during this whole thing has been, has been different. Sometimes I'm in the sanctuary two hours before it, the service starts. Uh, this morning I was at the church uh, about 45 minutes before the service started, but I stayed in my office until about three minutes. Uh, literally, uh, someone, Alan, sent my daughter to come get me because, hey, this is about to start. I'd been in my office looking over my notes, and I came in, and all throughout the pews, uh, I see pictures of our church family um, and that uh, many of our households. Many of our church folks had uh, put, put these together and it's a way to surprise me. And um, I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't look at them too closely because I didn't want to get overwhelmed uh, before I got up here. But I want to say thank you. And, uh, and I know where you are by seeing uh, these pictures in your spots. And uh, I'm going to look at them a little closer uh, after the service is over. Well, I want to invite you to join me this morning. In the book of 1 Peter, it's toward the end of your uh, Bible, if you have it there with you. Um, not, not long before um, uh, you get to Revelation. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, Revelation. So it's right there at the end. 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be reading verses 17 through 21. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, 
that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen from the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and your hope are in God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you specifically for this letter uh, from the Apostle Peter. And we pray that this short passage from that letter would encourage and strengthen and instruct us today so that we may be more like your son, Jesus. And in doing so, we may fall more deeply in love and we may be more faithful and experience you and your spirit more deeply. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's interesting how uh, things change so much in just a few years. There's the uh, recent fad on Facebook, you know, with, I, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago about uh, the people posting uh, their, their uh, graduation pictures and we've seen how the styles change. Uh, my own uh, two daughters are graduating this year. I was talking to one of them uh, this morning. I was talking to Courtney about um, how things change uh, with phones. Uh, she's getting a new phone or, uh, for graduation, and, and I was talking to her about the phone I used in high school, and that was the family phone that hung on the wall, you know, this one plain white phone and I was talking to her about how it sat there in the middle of the house and in one place and there was one phone that we all shared and by shared what that meant was I might could get to touch it for like a couple of minutes before someone started screaming you're tying up the line get off the phone don't stay on it and there was no privacy because it was in the middle of the house where every word was heard by everyone in the house. And, you know, I think it was a long time before we even got call waiting. Or, and, and, you know, I was talking to her about how you, you know, dialed each and every number on that rotary dial. And she said, well, what if you messed up a number? I said, oh, it was click and start over again. And, and you know, this was like mind-blowing. She could hardly imagine uh, what was going on there. You know, and things change so much. I was also thinking about how things change over time and in terms of where we get our wisdom and knowledge. You know, uh, maybe once upon a time when there was a big, deep question, someone sent, said, oh, go see the village chief. He knows what's up. You know, and then maybe, maybe in another era, people said, oh, go ask father. He knows best. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, it always, the common answer seemed to be, look it up in a dictionary, or go check the encyclopedias, the world encyclopedia. And now, whenever there's a question, the answer is, Google it, okay? And so, in human culture, in human society, the source of information, the, the authority is constantly changing, and then, of course, if you ask people, well, who do you get good information from? Don't even start asking people what the right news channel of information is because you'll constantly get different answers of they're the best. No, they're fake news. No, they're fake news. But when we get come to God's word, we don't get this constantly changing uh, source of information. We, we get the same. 
we, we get a continuous, unchanging, steady source of information and source of truth. And as believers, that's what we're supposed to look at. You know, our world tells us, um, tries to offer us those type of things. I remember the last time we kind of experienced some disruption in our society a little over a decade ago when we went through the recession and everything. And you remember when all everybody's stocks were going crazy the last time and there was all these ads and people were saying, buy gold, buy silver, buy gold, you know, invest in it. And they were trying to tell us about how, how great silver and gold were and they were better than paper money and more secure and, and all this kind of stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if they would you know, do that again right now. But it, it's interesting that um, here we have this passage and we hear that, you know, we hear that Peter calls gold and silver perishable things. You know, we talk about perishable things and perishable goods and non-perishable goods. We, if you asked if gold and silver were perishable goods, we'd probably say, no, they're non-perishable. <clears throat> they last. <laughs> they're not like something that spoils in a week or two or three. But from God's perspective, they're perishable goods. From eternity's perspective, they don't last all that long. And so this morning, I want us to think about, from the long-term view, from God's perspective, how are we as believers supposed to look at life? What are some key things that we're supposed to learn if we don't want to get uh, caught up in society's constantly changing uh, values? Three things I want us to see. First of all, we need to understand the right view towards God. The right view towards God. Peter here tells us um, that we need to have a reverence towards God. Let's look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Here's what Peter's saying. Your judge is also your father because... As a believer, you're part of the family of God. Now, Peter knows that there is a temptation, and by the way, many Christians today have bought into this temptation. There is a temptation that says, oh, well, the judge, he's my father. So that means, you know, I can kind of get away with things, right? Because he's kind of, you know, he's going to wink at what I do. He's going to allow me to get away with some extra stuff, because he's dad. And, you know, we kind of have a lot of this in modern Christianity that says, oh, God is daddy. And that means, you know, daddy, I've got him wrapped around my little finger and I can get away with a lot. So I don't really have to respect God all that much. And Peter's like, absolutely not. In fact, you should have a respect, a greater respect for God because he is your father. You see, one of the, the greatest and most fundamental commandments in Scripture, after you get the ones that refer directly to God, when you get, say, the, in the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, 
The first one is about our parents. Honor your father and your mother. The first thing that we are to learn in this world about relating to other people is that we're to respect our parents and show them great honor and respect. That is what is due to them. And so the fact that the one who judges us one day, the one that every single one of us will stand before, the fact that he is our father does not mean that we should respect him less. It means that we should respect him all the more, that we should reverence him all the more, that we should try to please him and live our lives in such a way that honor him all the more. So a worldly way of thinking would say, hey, that's my daddy. I don't have to worry about it. God's way of thinking says, that's my father. I want to please him all the more. Secondly, when you look at God's way of thinking versus the world's way of thinking, we need to have a detachment versus a detachment about material things. As we've Move on to verse 18. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now there's a lot to unpack right here. First of all, We need to understand why we were redeemed. We, we miss this whole concept of redemption a lot. Okay, redemption means we were bought. We were saved, okay? Like, a, um, like something that was lost, okay? We, we hear the, the term irredeemable, but God redeemed us anyway, all right? God bought us, and not with what he calls perishable things. Remember, we think these are the most valuable things in life, gold and silver. And and Peter here says those things are nothing, material things, but with the precious blood of Christ. And what are we being redeemed from? You know, the Scripture does talk about the consequences of our sin, the, the wrath. And certainly we want to be saved from the wrath of God. But do you know the, the primary reason that God saved you is not to save you from his wrath. That's, that's really more a benefit. God saved you to redeem you from doing those things that caused you to receive his wrath. He's not just saving you from the consequences of sin. He's saving you from the sinful life that produced those consequences. God's primary goal is not to just say, hey, I want to take this sinner and I want to keep him a sinner and I want to keep him a messed up, screwed up individual that keeps on being that same screwed up, messed up way and I just want to bail him out from the consequences. That's not God. That's a crazy permissive parent who does that, who just bails out their kids. That's not God's plan. God's plan is to say, hey, I want to take this lost soul who is blindly going their own way 
and I want to rescue and redeem them, and I want to change them. I not only want to save them from this consequence, I want to save them from themselves. I want to save their character. I want to save their choices. I want to save their very nature and to change them into something glorious. I want to make them into something that is holy and precious and like my son, Jesus Christ. And so our whole idea of redemption, if we just think, oh, yeah, I got saved from hell. Well, yeah, you did. Okay, but that's shortcutting the process. That's missing so, so much. God saved you from that sinful nature that was leading you down this path of destruction and changed you so that you might grow and become more and more like Christ so that when you come to be one day with him in heaven, you have been transformed to where you are not a misfit in heaven. You are not some outsider, but you actually belong there because God has made you like Christ. That is the point of Christian maturity. Now, I'm not claiming that anyone ever reaches that, by the way. We don't reach sinless perfection in this life, but we are on a journey there should be a difference in your life from the point you accepted Christ to a year later, to five years later, to ten years later. It's not a straight line. We're, we're all on a roller coaster. That's how life works. But there should be some progress along the way as we draw closer to Christ and become more like him. But back to this, okay, so that's, that's what redemption is about. But he says, what were you redeemed from? This old way of life, this empty way of life. And he said, you are redeemed from corruptible things. Okay, there's different translations. This word can be uh, corruptible. It can be translated mortal. Um, it's basically things that are going to eventually pass away. And God is saying... We need to hold on to the eternal things. And the eternal things are not things of wood or stone or gold or silver or even diamond or platinum. The eternal things are the things that we cannot see. They're not tangible things. They are love, hope, and faith. They're the things that connect us to eternity. And so we need to get our value system right and realize that we utilize physical things. Yeah, we got to eat. We got to have a place to live. Uh, we we got to have ways to get around and be transported from point A to point B. Okay, so I'm not saying we should become ascetics or monks and all go live on top of a mountain somewhere. I mean, we have to function in this society. But to become consumed about the brands we wear and because it has one little symbol instead of another little symbol or all of this crazy stuff that people get caught up in, God says, that's all junk that's going to fade away and pass away and mean nothing. The stuff that you're wearing right now that's so important 
five or ten years from now, everybody's going to say, ugh, that's so out of style. Why are you wearing that? And, and yet we're, oh, i got to have it. And God is saying, get a better perspective. Let go of that stuff and, and look to the stuff that's really going to matter long term. To what matters? Having the right reverence and attitude toward God. Having a detachment from material things. We don't hold on to that empty way of materialistic way of looking toward life. And third, we need to focus on the main thing in life. And we'll talk about that main thing in just a second. Let's, let's read some more. In verse 20, this is talking about Christ, the Lamb of God. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. The main thing is this. Your faith in God comes from Jesus' death and resurrection. Your faith in God comes from Jesus' death and resurrection. I know some of you are like, well, duh. I want to tell you, there's an old saying about being too clever. And I'm going to tell you, I've been too clever a lot of times in my life. I've been way too clever for myself, way too smart for myself. And I think a lot of us are. You say, for a long time, I thought that um, I just had to know it all and get it all. And I'll be honest, I, I, had, uh, I had this um, really weird question in my mind. Um, I, I went through a period of time where before I went um, to seminary, I remember a lot of people would say, don't let seminary ruin you. I was like, what, what are you talking about? You know, people, everybody said, don't let seminary ruin you. What, what do you mean? And I don't know if they were talking about, you know, uh, liberal teaching. Well, I'll be honest, I, I didn't go to a liberal seminary. I went to a very conservative Bible teaching seminary. So it, it certainly, um, and I, I had... Uh, professors who were very encouraging to my faith. And, and so that didn't occur at all. But I did notice this a few years past my seminary experience. And, and even before my seminary, I actually got a, a bachelor's degree um, in religion. I noticed that there was an early period in in, in, in my uh, college days when I was really, really um, on fire for God, I had not taken one single religion class at all, okay? I hadn't taken a preaching class, hadn't taken an evangelism class, didn't, didn't know any about the thing, but I just knew I loved Jesus. I just knew I was excited about Jesus. I just knew I wanted to serve Jesus. And then somehow along the way, even though I was learning more stuff in college and in seminary, I got less excited and was sharing less. I learned more and I got more interested in the Bible, but somehow 
I was kind of more afraid to reach out and tell people about Jesus. And, and, it, and, and like I said, it wasn't because I was like being fed liberal stuff. And I, it took me a long time to figure out, and I, but I finally got it. Here's what it was. I figured out that as I learned more, I started buying into this lie that I'm going to really be a great witness and I'm going to be a great Christian when I learn a little more than, than I just learned a little more. And I started thinking, when I really understand it all, when I really can answer all the questions that people have, and when I can really shut down all the skeptics, and when I really get it all together in my mind, then I'm going to be a great preacher. Then I'm going to be a great teacher or evangelist. And, and, and I realized, you know what? You don't ever get to that point. Nobody does. Or at least I won't. <laughs> I, I haven't in, in all these years, and I don't think I'm ever going to. Now, there are a few like amazing people out there who can quote. They've got all the facts and figures and philosophy, and, and they are experts in everything, and they can debate you, and they can defend, and, and they're just awesome. You know, and, I'm, and they write books, and they do famous debates, and I'm proud that those folks are out there. But I got to the point where I'm proud that they're there, but I'm realizing I'm not them. And so I don't get intimidated anymore thinking I've got to be them. I've come back to the fact that I know this. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that he was raised to life again. And I know that one day I realized that I was a sinner and I realized that I had no hope of doing anything about that without a Savior. And that Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for me, was the one that could bring me to God. And so I put my faith and my trust in him. And so now when people come to me and they say, well, well, what about all the evil in the world? I say, yeah, that, that's, well, that's a difficult question. And I, and I can point you to some, some philosophers that can talk really big. And they, they've got some really great stuff about that. But I know that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. Oh, what, what about... What about creation versus evolution? Yeah, that's a real interesting uh, discussion. I can give you lots of books about that, and I can point you to some videos, and I can show you. Well, what about uh, all of these uh, historical things? And, and what about, yeah, yeah. What about philosophy? What about, what about, what about? And I can just proudly say, yeah. I've read a little bit about that. I've heard a little bit about that. And I can gladly say I'm not an expert. And even if I was, I wouldn't know it all. You see, if the Apostle Paul, who was, as far as I know, in my mind, the greatest Christian theologian of all time, if he could say that I have uh, determined that I will know nothing but Christ and Him crucified, if he himself could say, listen, 
Yes, I try to teach, I try to preach, I try to help everybody understand, but when it comes down to it, I'm going to focus my life on this. Jesus Christ died for my sins. And that's really the one important thing I need to know in this life. If he could make that the focus of his life, then I'm not going to try to be any more clever than he was. I'm just going to say Jesus died for my sins. And I know that he wasn't a crackpot. I know that it was true because he was the one man in history who rose from the dead, never died again. He ascended and is sitting at the right hand of the Father God today. And so that's what I need to know. Jesus died for my sins, and I know what he's done in my life and what I believe he can do in yours. All the other stuff is interesting. Church history is interesting. Theological debates, they're fun to some people. Philosophy, all the other stuff. You can debate it and think about it all you want. But all I really need to know is I believe in God because he sent his son. He loved me so much that he didn't want me to perish. And so he sent his son, Jesus, for anybody who would believe, and that includes me, so that I could have eternal life. That's what really matters. Having a faith in Jesus and God through his son, Jesus. Living out my life once I have that faith in a respectful way, knowing I'm going to stand before the Father one day. And understanding that all this stuff in life is just temporary. As the old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Enjoy life. Bless people in this life. Live with joy. Leave a legacy. But understand, we don't live for now. We live for eternity. Would you bow with me? Father God, we thank you and we praise you for what you give us, for the fact that you did not simply bail us out from a consequence, but Father, you did something far greater. You changed us at the very core of who you are. Lord, you tell us that somehow, in a way we do not understand, that when we believe and trust in you, we are united with your Son Jesus in his death, in our old nature, we die and we, we rise again in our new nature with him. And that we live by faith in the son of Jesus Christ who died for us and who loves us and gave himself for us. We don't understand that, Father, completely. We don't get it all. It's too amazing for us to grasp, but we believe it and we trust it. And we do our best to live it out. Father, help us to keep from getting distracted. And to focus on the simple, important things that you have for us to live for. God, we pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.